If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open them with me uh, this morning to the book of First Kings. First Kings chapter 2. First Kings chapter 2. We've not been in First Kings. We've spent most of our time uh, in this series on the life of David in First and Second Samuel, and then a bit in the Psalter as well. But this morning we turn to First Kings chapter 2. And this morning we come to the end of what is a 14-week journey. Now, it's been more than 14 weeks total uh, because we've had breaks. Other preachers have come in this pulpit. But uh, for the last uh, 14 weeks that I have been here, we have been studying the life of David. It's a study that we began way back in April When we began with the anointed, that was the first sermon out of the gate, the anointed where I introduced through God's word, God's servant, and the fact that God loves to bring deliverance to his people through the least likely. And from there, we just continued with titles. I don't know if you've noticed that, but there's been a theme uh, in our series on the life of David as we have framed this series with titles. And so since this is it, let's, let's take a trip down memory lane a bit and uh, remember where we've been. From the anointed, we went to the champion where God saw fit to topple Goliath the giant through David. And David reminded us as he stood between the enemies of God and his people of the fact that we need a mediator. And we've been given one through Jesus. And then we spoke about the rival, Saul, King Saul, and Saul's self-fixation which reminded us that we need God's presence to free us from ourselves. And then the friend, Jonathan, his loyal covenantal friendship with David reminds us of God's friendship with us. The Most High God dwelling with us and entering into relationship with us. We went on from there to the fugitive, the villain, the merciful, the fool. Remember the fool, Nabal, Abigail, God's mercy extends even to the foolish and we praised him for that. The Holy One, the promise keeper, the grandson, which was David at his finest as he reached out to Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, and lavished grace and mercy upon him and he reflected the heart of the Father in doing that. And then we went from there to the sinner, which was David at his lowest. Blinded by the lies of sin, he covets, he steals, he lies, he kills. And he repents. And he's given grace. And he's shown mercy. And then just last week, the betrayed. As we looked at David's son, Absalom, rising up against his father and David ultimately experiencing the consequences of his sin. And yet even in that rebellion, the promise of a son remains. What a life. What a a journey this has been through the life of David. Ups and downs, twists 
and turns. And I sincerely hope that, that one or more of these sermons has spoken to you, has impacted you, has encouraged you, and challenged you in the Lord. So how do we end such a series? How do we end such an incredible life? Well, it wasn't clear to me how to do that, and I'm not sure that I'm going to do it perfectly and well today. But the way I decided to end it was on a deathbed, essentially. Not not morbidly on a deathbed, but pointedly on a deathbed. David is dying. His purpose on earth and his decades-long reign of God's people is coming to an end, and he is thinking about giving parting words and instruction to those who he's going to leave behind. And, And there's all kinds of full accounts of these speeches that David gives, not just to his son, but to the priesthood and to the officers of the nation. And you can read about those speeches in places like 1 Chronicles 22. But today we're just going to look at a part, a fundamental part, a small part of David's parting words. The words of a father to a son. The words of a king to an heir. And so today we wrap up our life of David with the king and his kingdom. Listen as I read, and as is our custom here at Ascension for the reading of God's word, uh, I invite you to stand with me as I read 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Listen and follow along as I read. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways, keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules, and His testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn that the Lord may establish His word that He spoke concerning me, saying... If your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their hearts and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you also know what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals of his feet. Act, therefore, according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. But deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, And let them be among those who eat at your table, for with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom your brother. And there is also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanaim. And when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore, do not hold him guiltless. For you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do with him 
and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you had the chance, if you had the chance, what would you say? We've all had opportunities, I think, in some form or another to speak some parting words, even if we weren't at the end of our lives like David is here with his son. I've had my own opportunities this year as a father to speak such words, a son getting married, a daughter leaving home to start college, thoughtful words spoken in the weight of a moment, a significant moment. And David's words that I just read to you, David's words, while specifically bound to his time and place, are at the same time timeless when we take a step back from them. Of course, the Holy Spirit has preserved these words for us over many generations. But not only that, but these words spoken by David are echoed, I think, by David the poet king as he expresses these very truths in the first two psalms of the Psalter. And not only that, but the son of David, the son of man, the son of God, who comes from the line of this Israeli king, the God-man Jesus, expresses these same truths when he comes to the earth and speaks to those who will follow him. And so, this morning, it's, it's through the words of Jesus through the lips of David, with a stop in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 that serve as our meditation this morning. That sounded way more complicated than it's going to be. But I hope you can follow along and track with me. Two exhortations that I want us to think about from this passage this morning. And the first one is this. Build your house upon the rock. Build your house upon the rock. Now these words, that phrase is familiar to many of you in this room. Jesus speaks those words to his followers when he was here on earth near the end of Matthew as he's bringing to a close this lengthy sermon that he preached on the hillside. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he says... He's not talking, of course, about a literal house. He's talking about a life. He says this in Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. 
What's Jesus saying there? He's saying that the path to weathering the storms in our lives, to weathering the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of our own hearts, is not strength from within. It's not strategies from without. It's a foundation of faithfulness to the words of life. And as David speaks to his son, this newly appointed, anointed king of Israel, Solomon, desiring to impart to him some wisdom for his life going forward, he says essentially the same thing. And we hear in David's words, we hear echoes of Moses' words to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31. David tells his son here that true manhood is not defined by physical strength. It's not defined by financial success. It's not defined by power over others. It's defined by obedience to God's Word. And he uses seven different terms here for God's Word. Look at it with me. He says charge and law and ways. We might call this the path that you're supposed to walk in. And then he calls them statutes and commandments, the the orders that God gives. And then finally, rules and testimonies, those, those things that govern specifics in our lives. Seven words to describe the richness of God's Word, the richness of this rock that our lives is to, are to be built on. And all of this David couches in, in covenantal language. Right? These are not words that are just spoken from someone on high. But these are words spoken. And this is a God who has entered into relationship with His people. Who has stooped in humility and in love to impart life. To impart a way of walking in which there is blessing. And in fact, this way of walking is where blessing is only found. And here's where Psalm 1 comes in and helps us. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1 starts off. You guys know this? Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree firmly planted. The same Hebrew word that is used here for delight is used elsewhere to describe a man's feelings for a woman. For instance, how King Xerxes felt about Esther. Like a love letter received in the mail, we might, we put all things aside in order that we might soak in God's word. This God who has entered into relationship with us. That word that's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, a hammer when we need to be rebuked, a chisel when we need to be refined, a salve when we need to be comforted, a double-edged sword that dissects our motives and our intentions. It is eternal. It will never pass away. So we see this Word. We hear this Word. And then by God's help and grace, we walk in those ways. And here's something I want you to hear specifically about David's words here to Solomon. It takes strength. It takes courage. What does he say? He says, be strong. Be strong and show yourself a man. David knows that it's going to take strength. David knows that it's going to take a stand. 
And Psalm 1 echoes the same thing. There is a wisdom of the world that must be rejected. Everyone wants to tell you what to think about a certain subject. How they think you should see it. The world wants to give its advice on your priorities, your passions, your relationships, your actions in the world, but God wants your mind. He wants your discernment. He wants your heart. He wants you to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And He wants you to have the courage to reject the so-called wisdom of the age and to set aside your fears, your fears of others, your fears of consequences, and walk before Him in faithfulness. Be strong. David says to his son, as you walk in the ways of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you know as well as I do that fear is one of the main tactics of the evil one. But Jesus reminds us in Matthew 10, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. As we know, and young people, you're experiencing this more than we experienced it when we were your age. God's word and God's ways are becoming increasingly unpopular. Increasingly out of step. Where the world doesn't just say, oh, you're following a different way. It says, you're following a terrible way. An intolerant way. That's awful. How could you do that? How could you be that way? And so Christians, even in our culture, are facing consequences as a result of their faithfulness to God's ways. As, their, as a result of their faithfulness and, and being out of touch according to the world. David says, build your house on the rock. Solomon will start off well. He will fail like his father before him, as will all those after him, as will we ourselves. But of course, we're here this morning, and I'm speaking these words to you this morning, not as a burden to feel heavy on your shoulders, but because of the fact that there is a faithful one who has walked in perfect obedience to the Father's Word. Who covers your failures. His name is Jesus. And so build your house on that rock. That's where you begin. Not just with His words of exhortation, but with His life that is yours. That's the first exhortation this morning. Build your house upon the rock. And the second is this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. As we turn from those opening words of instruction in verses 1 through 4 of 1 Kings 2, as we turn to verse 5 in our passage, things get way more specific, don't they? In fact, the dialogue and the scene, it almost feels like a mobster sitting down with his son. Hey, sonny. I got some things I need you to take care of. Right? That's, what it, that's what it kind of feels like with David. 
In fact, there are some scholars who they want to interpret those verses, verses five through nine, as an example of, yet again, the inconsistency of David. Here he's saying, walk with the Lord in faithfulness that your kingdom might be established. Build your house upon the rock. And then suddenly, he's spouting these words about Joab and other enemies of his past. I guess for cert- we won't know for certain until we're in the new heavens with David and we can ask him. Perhaps it is an imperfection here. But even in David's imperfection, I think it points us to something better. But I actually don't think it's an imperfection. I actually think David is focused here. I don't think he's a mobster planning revenge through his son. And I think this in part because of 1 Kings 15.5. The writer there says this about David as it reflects as he reflects on David's life. He says David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. David surely wasn't perfect, but I don't think David is just purely self-seeking here. He's about to die. And I think what David is showing us, and what we have to be challenged by in the life of David in these words to Solomon, is that he is focused on the kingdom that he is leaving behind. Not just the legacy through his son Solomon. He cares about that, for sure. But also about the name of Yahweh and the rightful throne of Yahweh's anointed. So he asked Solomon to deal with matters that he's leaving behind. First, there's Joab. Joab served as a commander in David's army, and yet Joab had aspirations of his own. And so when he got the chance to take care of two potential rivals that were aiding David in his kingship, one of whom had killed Joab's own brother, he, he took care of business. So in 2 Samuel 3, we read of Joab's murder of Abner. In 2 Samuel 20, we read of Joab's murder of Amasa. And David could have dealt with these injustices earlier. Perhaps he should have. Scholars have wondered why he didn't. But now as he's leaving the earth, he sees Joab as a clear threat to the reign of his son, the rightful king, and the rule of God in Israel. You see, Joab had already aligned himself just a couple chapters earlier with Adonijah. The threats to Solomon's reign are at the door, just like they were with David. And so David is concerned that Solomon do what needs to be done. And then there is Shimei. Shimei was a member of the house of Saul. He cursed and assaulted David during the rebellion of Absalom, David's son. And so David encourages Saul to use wisdom in the handling of him as well. But he makes it very clear that these men need to go to their graves sooner rather than later. So so what do we do with this? What do we do with these words? These are hard words to hear. 
no doubt. But I don't think we can hear these words. I don't want us to hear these words merely as an earthly, personal vendetta, a sinful revenge against past enemies. I want us to hear these words spoken by King David, the Lord's anointed, to the next rightful king of Israel. And what David is speaking is he's speaking righteous judgment. He is intentionally focused on the kingdom of God. You see, there are only two options in the world. You're either a servant of the king or you're an enemy of the kingdom. And here's where Psalm 2 comes in and I think is helpful for us. We live in a world that hates God's king. Psalm 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And so in our day, we see this on a political level through communist governments, through brutal and oppressive regimes, through Islamic states. The world hates God's king. In our society, we see it. As we glory in our own sin, we ignore Jesus' instruction. We see it in our movies, in Hollywood, in the stories they tell and in the ones that they don't. We see it in our political correctness, in our world's fixation with the word tolerance. The world hates God's King. The world hates Jesus, but you and I are here this morning because we recognize that Jesus is the King that we need. That His kingdom is the kingdom that will last. That His kingdom is true and in Him is life. And He is coming again one day in fullness. And so we hear at least I want us to hear David's concern for the legacy of the Davidic kingship and be reminded of God's promise in Psalm 2.6 that God has set His King on Zion, His holy hill. And because of that fact, then Jesus' words to His disciple in Matthew 6 where we got our main exhortation this morning, seek First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things, all the things that we thread about and worry about, all those things will be added to us as we fix our eyes and seek His kingdom first. And so that's where I see David's words to Solomon, not words of personal vendetta, but kingdom-minded and kingdom-focused words. Albeit imperfect, yes, David was not perfect. But he points to the one who was. Obviously, those are very familiar verses. Build your house upon the rock, seek first the kingdom of God. But I think seeking first the kingdom of God, that simple exhortation, that simple truth is something we need to be challenged with again and again, every week every day of our lives. Because we have hearts that naturally want to build our own kingdoms. (laughs) 
and not focus on something bigger than ourselves, not focus on the kingdom of God. Pastor Paul Tripp talks about this a lot. I went hunting because I remembered him speaking about this in a book. And he points out, hopefully, I think, that the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God are always at war with one another, aren't they? And so he suggests that we ask ourselves five questions regularly. And so these aren't mine. These are from Paul Tripp, author, pastor. First question has to do with self-focus. And he says, before making a decision, do you think what's in it for me or do you freely sacrifice for the good of another without expecting a return? That's self-focus. Number two, self-righteousness. Are you more concerned with and on the lookout for the sin and weakness and moral failure of others than you are your own? Number three, self-satisfaction. Do you regularly feel discontent, always looking for something new to satisfy you instead of being satisfied with a God-honoring life? Self-reliance. Do you avoid living in intrusive and intentional relationships where others admit their need for grace and seek the help of biblical community? And then finally, self-rule. Which law gets the most attention and the quickest response in your life and relationships? The Word of God or your own desires? Kingdom of self. Warring with the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying that David had these things perfectly squared away. I'm certain that he didn't. But I think his words to his son, these words here point us to Jesus' call to seek first the kingdom of God. And David's own failure and Solomon's own failure point us to the fact that while we too will fail, Jesus has not. And so ultimately, we follow the words of the writer of the Hebrews. We fix our eyes on Jesus as we seek the kingdom of God, as we build our house on the rock. Well, I think this passage, these words are a fitting end to David's life. A life that whether David realized it all the time or not, I'm sure he didn't, David's is a life that's ultimately not about him. It's a life that points to a king to come and to a kingdom to come. From a father to a son, from a savior to those who he has saved. Hear these words, brothers and sisters. Hear them, heed them, and live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you this morning for these parting words from your servant David. And though we know they weren't spoken with pure motives, we know that they weren't spoken sinlessly. I still ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take even their imperfection and allow their encouragement to point us to the encouragement of our Savior and ultimately to our Savior Himself, the Lord Jesus 
who walked in perfect obedience to your word, who sought first your kingdom, Father, and your will for his life. May we this day and all of our days be found in him, be hidden in him. O Holy Spirit, change us, mold us, and fashion us to be like him as well, we pray. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen.